Chapter 7, The Era of Mass Migrations 250 BCE 500 CE X and Y About 200 BCE, history was about to speed up, and 250 BCE they were huddled together in a small tent along the shores of Lake Baikal, they had just visited a series of tribes of various ethnicities. Things are rather quiet right now said why but the conditions for open warfare are here. Look at the map I sketched for us. We have the Dinlan Federation around Lake Baikal and south to the Gobi Desert and the Pazirik in the Altai Mountains. Those are Caucasian tribes. Then we have another Caucasian tribe, the Wusan, in Zungaria and around Lake Borkash. Then there are the Uchi, a Mongolian tribe in the Gobi Desert area, and another federation of Mongolian tribes, the Zyalnu, north of the Gobi Desert and along the Yellow River. I won't bother listing all the tribes in the Dinlin and Zyalnu federations, those are simply not important enough at this time. Things are going to happen. Yes, said X. Good climatic conditions for a while so the populations explode. Then racial and other tribal differences will be exacerbated by ever-increasing closeness, definitely a volatile mix when climatic conditions worsen. I wonder who will become desperate first and have the dynamic leadership to start conquest X and Y still about 200 BCE. Looking back at what happened makes me realize that the Xiongnu conquests are really not that surprising said X they're a horse. Based nomadic nation with considerable mobility and energy due to these horses and the large herds of animals they live on provide a high diet of protein. From the time they can walk the children are schooled in military play such as shooting with toy bow and arrows, then more seriously shooting small animals and then shooting large animals. Much of this is done on horseback. They eat a lot of meat so tend to be more energetic than sedentary agriculturists or other nomads. They are highly mobile too because they have to travel constantly so they are not tied down much. Also, they need large territories for their animals and are very susceptible to droughts and other natural calamities since their animals will then not have enough food. Yes, said Y and they have an incentive to attack more sedentary tribes with higher concentration of people, so they can get booty in the form of food, women. Another booty, is the promise of women as beauty not a big reason for raids and conquest. I am afraid you are right said X but if you can throw in an occasional Chinese princess as a bribe, it is easier to make peace. Somehow such a woman is more desirable because of the status bestowed on the recipient. The dynamism of these people is frightening and horrifying in a lot of ways but it also makes for an exchange of ideas and decreases the terrible provincialism of people. Accepting that they are part of a bigger world than their own small tribe is important to make people grow mentally but it also makes for a larger arena to kill and rape and added why bitterly x and y still about 200 BCE, wow what a man this Motten of the Xiongnu was exclaimed why, he organized this collection of quarreling tribes into one and made them a formidable force throughout, even the Chinese trembled at the thought of him, after his and his son's demise, the Xiongnu are falling apart as a powerful confederation but they have exerted such influence and have such a glorious history that legends will be created about Motten and this may encourage future generations to attempt to rekindle his glory. Ruti and Shankian are impressive too though and they enabled useful contacts for humanity in starting long-distance relationships from China across Siberia by initiating the Silk Roads for Commerce X and Y about 100 BCE. Aryan tribes on the southwestern side of Siberia were developing empires of their own and X noted that the Yuchi certainly had a hard time of it. They were semi-nomadic and peace-loving, but the Xiongnu forced them to move after a severe defeat. 
Then they think they have found a heavenly place in Sogdia, a move that was well planned and implemented since they settled there with little fuss with the locals. But then they are forced to move again by the Wusen who had a long unforgiving memory X and Y about 50 BCE. It is a shame that we came back to China too late to find out who actually invented paper said why it was bound to be a woman. Who knows grinned X, I am glad you are so unbiased about gender, but we should give the Chinese Kailun credit nonetheless for promoting it. But the fact that a man gets credit for promoting it but that the discoverer is unknown is some evidence that you are right that a woman invented paper making, but there must be numerous good inventions that disappeared because they were not promoted X and Y still about 50 BCE. These nomadic tribes have enormous energy and drive under the right leadership commented X they will conquer anything in their way because of their mobility and ability to fight on horseback. The clash between nomads such as the Xiongnu and the more civilized settled population like China will reverberate throughout the history of this species. Both populations want some of what the other has. The mobility of the nomads with the proper armaments such as the Xiongnu have is hard to withstand. They are successful until they face well-fortified cities with large populations or other warlike nomadic warriors such as the Xiongnu in Wuhan or coalitions of nomads and settled city populations. Ultimately, the latter will get tired of the raids and strike back hard as the Chinese did and this will push the various nomadic tribes into less populated and less dangerous areas inhabited by other nomads or settled agriculturists causing major population shifts. Between the periods of fighting, these populations learn from each other often through captured women and slaves, so new ideas will be transmitted. For example, the Chinese learned about a better class of horses and a better way of mobile fighting. The Xiongnu learned about better types of clothing such as silk outfits and jewelry and also about the finer points of diplomacy. Ultimately, the settled life will win out because of population density and because women will prefer it as a way of living for themselves and their kids said Wyzandia about 25 BC in western Siberia around the Aral Sea. The Aussie was a tribe that plays a significant role now but will disappear from history because their dynamic leadership is gone and the people were not really that warlike. But another tribe, the Alans, should continue playing a significant further role in history commented X. X and Y back to about 400 BCE moving even further west, X and Y witnessed interesting developments in Greece. What an incredible creative and dynamic people these Greeks are exclaimed X the competition between these various city-states leads to a lot of fighting but also to glorious inventions, artwork and philosophy. Pericles advocated democracy despite many arguments against its benefits. For example, it was argued that democracy benefited people individually, but harmed the state. The democratic measures Pericles put into effect provided the basis for considerable political strength. I think Pericles was an extraordinary man, a very gifted politician who deeply cared for his people and his city and wanted beauty when possible. If they produce leaders like that more often, humans could become a truly great species, making Earth a human paradise. These Greeks are sensible people agreed why we call them that even though they were living in Greek city-states, so a country called Greece did not exist yet. And the Spartans certainly would object to being called Greeks since they frequently fought against the Greek city-states, especially Athens and certainly were very militaristic and not democratic. But the Greeks transformed their old rights because of the needs of their military, this helped them become very egalitarian, no need in this society for a god who will save them now or in the future, they basically are leading an easy, good life, they only need gods to explain what is going on around them, hence they see the gods as a reflection of themselves and believe they are simply playthings for the boar gods. 
This realistic view of life made the Greeks become very rational, logical thinkers, and it is almost as good as no gods at all. One can always find some god who wanted you to do what you did. Maybe that is why Socrates did not start his own religion said why his ideas fit in well enough with the Greeks' acceptance of many gods with similar needs and wants that people have X and Y back to about 300 BC Alexander the warrior of Macedonia will become better known through history than Pericles of Greece because of his success as a general in a very large area, but Pericles was clearly the more impressive person. Alexander's main contribution seems to be that Greeks settled areas he conquered, especially in Fergana, and through his conquests the Greek language became very widespread. He was certainly a brave but also a nasty person especially in the latter part of his life. Not clear why he became so delusional that he thought he was a god. X and Y about 25 BCE again, the Parthians are quite wealthy remarked Y when they had returned to Iran. Yes and they built great structures too. They grew rich too from the ever-increasing trade between Asia and the Mediterranean, but their northeastern borders were often attacked by nomads and the Scythians attacked repeatedly over an even larger border. The empire was not centralized with several languages, people, and economic systems. The loose ties between the separate parts may have been the key to its long survival. There were numerous wars with the Romans. For example, their most important capital, Ctesiphon, was captured no less than three times by the Romans, but the empire survived, because there were other centers of power. This empire was a conglomerate of kingdoms, provinces and city-states and this ultimately weakened the Parthian state because of a weak central government Zandia about 0 CE. In the middle of the 1st century CE the Xiongnu Empire split into a northern and southern part and the Dinlans remained there. In 86 CE, the latter revolted and in 90 switched to the side of the Chinese Xiandi coalition forcing the Xiongnu to abandon their native land. In the Beriba, a wooded, flat plain situated in western Siberia between the Irtysh and the Ob rivers, and Karaganda steppes, a region between the Ural and Altai mountains, western Siberia and the Middle East. The Xiongnu regrouped 15 years later they restarted the war for Asia, but other tribes took revenge on them and the Xiongnu split up into several tribes, some of them moved west following the migrations of the earlier Yuchi tribes to lands along the Sidiraya, still others scattered throughout western Turkestan, they mixed with local populations and eventually took the name the Huns, meaning the people to illustrate that there was a merger of various tribes, in 50 Kujala Kadfizes, the leader of the Kusinus, one of the five Yuchi tribes, defeated his four rivals and set up a kingdom centered on Bactria. His son, Vimatakto, conquered large areas of northern India before 100 and made the Kusinus rich and strong. Vimakadphises, Vimatakto's son, controlled a key part of the Silk Roads, leading along the Indus Valley to the port of Barigaza, later Daybroach, from where ships would sail to Egypt by passing Parthia. The great Cusinus Wakaniska, the son of Vimakadphises and his successors Huvisca and Vasudevarai their empire included later day Tajikistan, parts of southern Turkmenistan, and Kyrgyzstan as well as most of Afghanistan and Pakistan, parts of northern and eastern India and some cities of the Terim Basin, including Kashgar, Yarkand and Khotan, but then a Chinese army crossed the Pamir Mountains, conquered territories as far west as the Caspian Sea, defeated the Uchikushan Empire, and even sent an emissary to the eastern provinces of Rome. The Uchikusinus integrated Buddhism into a pantheon of many deities and became great promoters of Mahayana Buddhism. Emperor Wu sent the explorer Shang Kyan to form an alliance with the Uchi people against the Xiongnus. 
Around 85 the Yuchi assisted the Chinese general Banch Al in an attack on Turfan, east of the Terim Basin, but after their request for a Chinese princess was turned down, they confronted Banch Al in 86 with a force of 70,000. After being defeated by the smaller Chinese force they paid tribute to the Chinese Empire during the reign of the Chinese Emperor Hanhe, 89-106, under Ardashi around 230. The Sassanids extended their dominion into Bactria and the Qusanas recognized them as their overlords. Meanwhile, the Alans joined with the Yankai to extend their control along the trade routes from the Black Sea to the north of the Caspian and Aral Seas. This confederation ruled a vast territory stretching from the Caucasus to the Danube from the second half of the 1st to the 4th century. The Huns pushed them westwards and they settled in the Byzantine Empire and Western Europe. In 421, soon after their arrival in Constantinople, their general, Adaburius, Adapa, fighting for the Byzantine Emperor Theodosius, defeated the army of the Sasanian Emperor, Baram Vx and Y about this same time. This vast country, Russia, is now being settled by several Slavic tribes said X we do not see much happening here besides these tribes settling down but we will certainly report on them later on. Chapter 8 was broken up into chapters 8a and 8b to make the auditory versions from being too long. For that purpose chapter 7 and 8a were combined since the Xi summary for chapter 7 is quite short. Chapter 8ax and y round the year 0 of the Common Era, CE, going into Western Europe. X noted that the Roman Republic made quite a breakthrough in human history. They went from a kingship to a government of the people. They eliminated powerful opponents such as Carthage that could easily have become the world power too. This republic does indeed have immense vitality agreed why this period of Roman civilization was characterized by a republican form of government that got started by the overthrow of the Roman monarchy in 508 BCE. A complex constitution-based government centered on the principles of a separation of powers and checks and balances. This was influenced by the struggle between the aristocracy, the patricians, and the common people, the plebeians. Early in its history, an aristocracy of individuals controlled the republic. Often one or both of the consuls were successful generals and this served Rome well during its period of expansion and early defense of its borders. The republic at this time had tremendous vitality and soon expanded in all directions, one of its primary enemies being Carthage in Africa. From 203-200 BCE the Punus Wars were fought against Carthage under Hannibal the warrior and his father. Hannibal was a great warrior but could only win battles, not settle for peace. His principal enemy at the end was Scipio the Younger of Rome, who hated Hannibal because both his father and his uncle were killed in battles in Spain by Hannibal's father. Hannibal's and Scipio's forces met on the vast plains of Zama. Hannibal's most famous military innovation, war elephants, were slaughtered as they charged wildly into Scipio's massed infantry force. In the end, the Romans won a great African victory. During the first two centuries, the Roman Republic saw its territory expand from central Italy to the entire Mediterranean world. In the following century, Rome grew to dominate North Africa, the Iberian Peninsula, Greece, and what is later southern France. In 143 BCE a Jewish rebel, Simon Maccabee, conquered Palestine and established the Kingdom of Judea there. When the Jews revolted in 43 BCE, the Romans re-established Judea under King Herod. Even though a Jew, Herod was hated, because he wanted to make Judea very Roman. When he died in 4 BCE, the Jews revolted again and were met by extensive Roman reprisals. The second Jewish temple was destroyed in 70 after another Jewish rebellion. 
where 600,000 to 1,200,000 Jews died at the hands of the army of the Roman Caesar Titus. Roman occupation caused the rebirth of the Jewish hopes of the coming of a Messiah who would end the reign of evil and force the acceptance of Jewish law and the Jewish God by all the people of the earth. Around 91 BCE, Roman military leaders became too powerful and denied the authority of the Senate. In 60 BCE three of these generals, Pompeii, Crassus and Julius Caesar formed a triumvirate. Soon, Julius Caesar emerged as sole leader and was proclaimed dictator for life in 44 BCE, but he was assassinated 30 days later. In 27 BCE Octavian, Caesar's nephew, was declared to be Augustus, the revered one. The Roman Republic ended around 27 BCE due to the appointment of a dictator for life, Julius Caesar, the defeat to Mark Antony at the Battle of Actium in 31 BCE, and the Roman Senate's grant of extraordinary powers to Octavian, Augustus. Under the first settlement in 27 BCE, in Roman times Judaism changed dramatically. The Romans had considerable trouble with the Jewish religion said why and it may be useful to update our views on this religion. They really bought into the myths of creation, being exiled to Egypt, then the liberation from Egypt and the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, promises made by their exclusive God, the incredible deliverances and victories, and the promise of being the one and only chosen people. Such beliefs may Jews really band together and help each other. They do not mingle readily and are hated for this because they are seen to be different. They have a very strong desire to survive as Jews. The men are often good husbands and the religion is very structured, with rules that are easy to follow. Their ceremonies give an aura of magic that endears them to simple folk. I am still puzzled why women are attracted to this religion. The religion is remarkably negative about them since they stand accused of original sin leading to mortality. But procreation in marriage is encouraged and even supposed to be fun, and protection afforded by their husbands and the Jewish tribe must be a very powerful attraction. Note that the ancestral Jewish population is drawn from an ancestral population about 2000 BCE and the Middle East, very similar to the Arabs, Turks and Armenians. They seem downtrodden by their neighbors but they have immense vitality, perhaps because their community stayed separate from their non-Jewish neighbors and were often threatened by them. Men from this community migrated elsewhere for better opportunities as traders and merchants and often married non-Jewish women there. Their obvious desire for a close family and community life must have been attractive to women so making religious converts was reasonably easy said why certainly superior to the run of other men around at the time she sniffed. I don't really understand how most women can put up with the men they have. These Jews seem to be misfits often but this could stimulate them to excel in other ways such as being good husbands. We will continue monitoring them said X. They are interesting Zandler again about Zero CE the story of the Roman Empire and Cleopatra's involvement in it is delicious said why it certainly shows how female wiles can affect the whole world. No argument with it from Migrant X she was the last pharaoh of ancient Egypt. She was a member of the Ptolemaic dynasty, a family of Greek origin which ruled Egypt after Alexander the warrior's death during the Hellenistic period. His general, Ptolemy Isoda, started the dynasty. Cleopatra's father, Ptolemy Orlates, returned in 55 BCE, with Roman support and captured Alexandria aided by the Roman general Aulus Gabinius. Cleopatra was corrigent with her father, Ptolemy Orlates, and at 18 became joint monarchs with her brother and husband, the 10-year-old Ptolemy Zie when her father died in 51. A cabal of courtiers, led by the eunuch Pothinus, 
removed her from power and made Ptolemy sole ruler in 48 BCE. While Cleopatra was in exile, the Roman general Pompey became embroiled in the Roman civil war. In the autumn of 48 BCE, he fled from the forces of Caesar to Alexandria, seeking sanctuary. Then he was beheaded in front of his wife and children, who were on the ship from which he had just disembarked. When Caesar arrived in Egypt two days later, Ptolemy presented him with Pompey's severed head. Caesar was enraged. Pompey had been a Roman consul and the widower of Caesar's only legitimate daughter, Julia, who died in childbirth with Pompey's son. Although Cleopatra was 21 years old when they met and Caesar was 52, they became lovers during Caesar's stay in Egypt between 48 BCE and 47 BCE. She became his mistress, and nine months after their first meeting, in 47 BCE, she gave birth to their son, Ptolemy Caesar, nicknamed Caesarian, which means Little Caesar. Her brother Ptolemy Zii was drowned in the Nile and Caesar restored Cleopatra to her throne, with another younger brother, Ptolemy Ziv, as her new co-ruler. The relationship between Cleopatra and Caesar was a scandal in the eyes of the Romans, because the Roman dictator was already married to Calpurnia Pisanus. Caesar even erected a golden statue of Cleopatra represented as Isis in the Temple of Venus Genetrix, the mythical ancestress of Caesar's family, which was situated at the Forum Julium. Note what a successful general can get away with noted X everybody loves and forgives the winner even if he is quite unethical as Caesar clearly was. Cleopatra was in Rome when Caesar was assassinated in 44 BCE. When Ptolemy Ziv died, poisoned by Cleopatra, she made Caesarian her co-regent and successor. In the Roman civil war between the Caesarian party, led by Mark Antony and Octavian, and the party of the assassins of Caesar, led by Marcus Junius Brutus and Gaius Cassius Longinus, Cleopatra sided with the Caesarian party as one would expect. Mark Antony, one of the rulers of Rome after Caesar's death, sent his close friend Quintus Delius to summon Cleopatra to meet Antony and answer questions about her loyalty. In 41 BCE, she arrived in a grandiose style in Tarsus. She seduced Antony so that he chose to spend the winter of 41 BCE 40 BCE with her in Alexandria. In 40 BCE, she gave birth to his twins, Alexander Helios and Cleopatra Selena II. Four years later, Antony visited Alexandria and renewed his relationship with her and Alexandria became his home. He married Cleopatra using Egyptian ceremonies although he was married to Octavia Minor, sister of his fellow triumvirate member Octavian. He and Cleopatra had another child, Ptolemy Philadelphus, at the donations of Alexandria in late 34 BCE, following Antony's conquest of Armenia. Cleopatra and Caesarian were crowned co-rulers of Egypt and Cyprus, Alexander Helios was crowned ruler of Armenia, Media, and Parthia, Cleopatra Selena I was crowned ruler of Cyrenaica and Libya, and Ptolemy Philadelphus was crowned ruler of Phoenicia, Syria, and Cilicia. Following the Battle of Actium in 31 BCE, Octavian invaded Egypt and Antony's armies deserted to him in 30 BCE. The three children of Cleopatra and Antony were spared and taken back to Rome where they were taken care of by Antony's wife, Octavia Minor. What made Cleopatra attractive were her wit, charm and sweetness in the tones of her voice said why to quote someone, for she was a woman of surpassing beauty and at that time, when she was in the prime of her youth, she was most striking. She also possessed a most charming voice and knowledge of how to make herself agreeable to everyone, being lovely to look upon and enjoyable to listen to, with the power to subjugate everyone, even a love-sated man already past his prime. She thought that it would be in keeping with her role to meet Caesar and she reposed in her beauty all her claims to the throne.
Certainly her charms were used to influence the most powerful men in the Western world. My kind of woman laughed why she must have been a heck of a lover to seduce two of the most powerful Romans said X too bad she was not successful in getting her children in the positions of power she wanted them to have, and she paid a heavy price for that, her son by Caesar was killed. Power can corrupt women as well as men it appears and you gain about zero CE there is a lot going on in Palestine and the Jewish states in regards to the Roman Empire that overshadows everything there. A lot of religious ferment commented why I am excited said X I wonder what will happen. Let us briefly summarize what has happened and what may develop in religions over time. Many people want instructions on how to achieve salvation for a good next life, being creative. Humans soon came up with the following approaches to religion, the pure land sects, this could appeal to the common man as a way to get to a next life, the strenuous life of repentance through voluntary punishment is not necessary, the whole emphasis is on faith since it is believed to be enough for salvation, this approach would be very attractive to the common person, this explains the popularity of some later religions that emphasize this approach, the mystery or true word sects, this approach is strongly supernaturalistic, an elaboration of the above approach, it relies on a large pantheon of saviors, both male and female, whose good offices were solicited through clever formulations, gestures, invocations, and liturgies, guaranteeing good results. This requires considerable trust in shamans or priests but has the advantage of only requiring slavish devotion to rules. The intuitive sects, salvation is reached through contemplation, the goal is transcendent insight and enlightenment. This is done through scholarly research, the reading of books, the doing of good works and the performance of rituals. One must find salvation by an inward look into one's heart. This would be attractive to mystics and to downtrodden, lousy people. The rationalist sects. Here one opens one's mind to insight from more than one source. Meditation is necessary but not sufficient for insight. The gathering of knowledge from teachers and scriptures. The performance of ceremonials and rituals and the regular discipline of a monastery were all quite valuable in the preparation for an ecstatic vision. This is a good approach for people who favor more mental work and love rituals. The socio-political sects. This would be prevalent everywhere as an interaction between the religion and political conditions in the state. Religion modified by politics is frequent throughout history. This would be particularly true in states that do not separate religion from state functions. Combined with the above approaches which existed through the ages, the following religious concepts developed over time, polytheism, the worship of many gods, the gods are no longer natural objects but entities or spirits in or independent of these objects, this is characteristic of the religion of peoples that are nearly civilized or somewhat advanced in civilization, the Greeks developed this concept most clearly, dualism, the belief in two deities, one benevolent and one malevolent, this accounts for the good and evil of the world by referring each occurrence to a supreme cause having a nature in accord with the character of its happening. We can say that this was first clearly formulated by Zoroaster. Monotheism, the faith that one all-wise, all-good, and almighty being alone created, guides, and governs the universe for ultimately good ends. This being is regarded as a spirit supervising the world of his creation. This is the type now accepted by the great majority of people in the more enlightened nations. This was first most clearly formulated by the Jewish people as well as by the Chinese. Monism, the view that the universe is a unity in which the manifold diversity is only apparent. This division has no representatives among nations yet but should include idealists, phenomenalists, materialists, organicists, 
mystics and spiritualists and is still about 0 CE a new religion is certain to arise at this time of about 30 CE in the Roman Empire noted why Jesus was truly a great caring man with a lot of charisma. He taught love above everything else and that everybody should look into themselves to find enlightenment, that is the meaning of their life. Generally, Jews will not accept him as another of their prophets because his message is so clearly at variance with the Jewish religion that believes strongly in sin and an unforgiving God. He has no clear successor except for Mary Magdala. She helped him form and express his ideas and could have led this religion after his death, but she is clearly not a leader and their ideas will be readily misinterpreted by future generations. His message is so universally appealing and powerful that many will claim to be his successor or claim to follow his ideas faithfully. On the other hand, his fundamental message of love and think for yourself was so vague that it lends itself to a large variety of interpretations by people wanting controls and your gain about zero CE. Paul certainly is dynamic and driven exclaimed why he was certainly the crucial person to get a new religion going. He is a true believer in the messages preached by Jesus and will do anything to sell his ideas, modify them to make them into a religion and spread the message with his incredible energy. Jesus, the idea man, backed up by Mary Magdalene to soften and sharpen his ideas, coupled with Paul the perfect salesman, made for a very powerful combination to initiate to religion. It is also useful that Paul made a good impression on women who were more than ready for a more positive religion than Judaism. He is very persuasive and not threatening to them because he is not interested in them sexually so they are more open to his preaching. His women converts, especially the influential ones, are critical to spreading the word. Do you think Paul is a homosexual? asked X. Yes, answered why his contempt for women in some of his writings is puzzling though. He hides it well when he communicates with them. I think he substituted a drive for religion for the sex drive that so many men have. Present company excluded I suppose laughed X yours is just right smiled why note the contrast between the Jews and the Christians noted X in Christianity sex is evil except for procreation despite the fact that Jesus and Mary Magdala certainly seem to enjoy it. In the Jewish religion sex is fun for marriage including procreation of course. Look back into their history said why, I think some of the Christian ideas evolved through the Greek connections of Paul. He reacted strongly to the liberal view that the Greeks had on sex and also he was influenced by Aristotle's views on women. The latter viewed women as incomplete men. Women in reproduction were passive and receptive while the men were aggressive and initiators. The child only inherits the male characteristics from the male in his view. Basically the woman was no more than a receptacle or womb or a garden where the man was the sower. One piece of evidence being of course that the first woman was supposedly made out of Adam's rib. That human females have eggs was not yet known so the idea that man was the creative and life-giving force in reproduction was somewhat understandable. I don't agree said why enough children look like their mother to give a lie to that idea and the commitment of women to their children, the sheer desire to get pregnant under the right circumstances and the incredible joy they usually have with having kids and raising them despite the terrible burden and finally sheer pain they have at delivery makes that very hard to understand. Men who believe that women are just receptacles must be very dense indeed said X would stupid be a better word asked Y X and Y again about 150 CE they witnessed the struggle between what became the Orthodox Church and Christian. Gnostics who lost out and were ultimately considered cult followers because of that. I like the ideas of some of these Christian Gnostics noted why, particularly Origen, his message was gentleness fortified with logic. 
His idea that all souls can be saved potentially is very human-friendly but is not a winner for a church that wants to tell people what to do to be saved. Arius was entirely logical given the assumptions he started with. Marnie has the most success for a while but what he required was hard work so it was not likely to be successful for a long time. Given what we have seen, what Marjan taught, that there were two gods, the good, true God who sent Jesus as his redeemer and a lesser, more evil God, who created the earth and was the originator of the Old Testament, seems more plausible than what the Orthodox Church teacher said X he must have borrowed these ideas basically from Zoroaster, that God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit to three as taught by Valentinus seems more plausible than that the three are one somehow, why was Christianity so successful as a religion asked why, good timing noted X the Roman Empire is dying and not protecting its inhabitants very well from the barbarians, and the barbarians are open to new ideas too, so that there is a template of open minds and minds desperate for protection from the cruel world. Religion thrives in times of serious stress, and Christianity with its teaching of equality, compassion, love, and the example of a loving and self-sacrificing savior is quite attractive and appeals especially to women, the undervalued power in the struggles this religion thrived on. They summarized their experience and judgment of the fight between the Christian cults as follows, Orthodoxy won out in the Christian world because it had simple rules that all people could follow and was not as harsh and simplistic as Judaism. Thinkers would want their own religion, Gnostics asserted, as for example in the Gospel of Mary of Magdala, that what distinguishes the false from the true church is not its relationship to the clergy, but the level of understanding of its members of the gospel and the quality of their relationship with one another. Authority is vested in the leadership of men and women who have attained strength of character and spiritual maturity. Some Gnostics would argue that obedience to the clergy requires believers to submit themselves to blind guides whose authority comes from the malevolent creator. Conformity to the rule of faith attempts to limit all Christians to an inferior ideology. Some Gospels reject any view of God as divine ruler and judge. The true model for leadership is the Savior, the teacher and mediator of divine wisdom and salvation who cautions his disciples against laying down fixed laws and rules that might enslave them. Gnosticism lost out because it required too much thinking on the part of individuals and hence only appealed to an elite. Gnostics were unwilling to trust church or theological powers and could not therefore establish institutions to compete with the Orthodox Church. As a general rule, a religion becomes a success if it fulfills a current need and also has strong political backing said why also, how strong is the competition, how simple are the rules to be followed, how good is the reward punishment system, and how loving is it towards the downtrodden. Well said agreed XY noted that the famous Library of Alexandria was burned in 391 by a Christian mob and commented how sad this was, destroying an accumulated source of knowledge including documents on early Christianity. This is truly still a barbaric species she commented. As an aside she noted that in the critical years after 100, Judaism went back to the basic religious precepts by which men lived whereas Christianity looked towards a magnificent personal religion without teaching men to live together. Christians will have beauty, passionate intercourse with God, magnificent buildings, frenzied worship and exaltation of the spirit, but they will have trouble acquiring the close organization of society, family life and the intimate community life possible under Judaism. Early Christianity was all that Jesus and Paul envisaged, a brilliant and profound path to personal salvation but perhaps incapable of teaching men to live together. Loving your neighbor as yourself is a good idea but unless it is clarified how one goes about doing it with clear guidelines makes it difficult to implement by many people. 
The idea of community is relative to noted X. Maybe the Jews just did not have the opportunity to kick anybody around for a long time. In an area as small as Palestine they broke up into a northern and a southern kingdom. I have heard a favorite Jewish joke. Two Jews get together and they build three synagogues. You go to yours, I go to mine and we will both boycott the son of a bitch on the hill. There must be some truth to that. But I suspect any religion will have that happen given enough time said XX and Y about 350 CE, as the Orthodox, Catholic, Church got the upper hand in its struggles with the Gnostics and gained followers through the Roman Empire over some centuries, it became a serious threat to the Empire since it was quite popular two powerful forces going at each other again said X this time the Roman Empire and the Catholic Church, it is a struggle between people living primarily for the now and ones living for a life hereafter, or perhaps it is between the haves and the who have not swear the latter are desperate and therefore hope that this life is not in vain and eager to believe that there is another better life, or perhaps it is between people who think for themselves as opposed to those who just want to be told what to do asked why, but I think it is obvious who is going to lose out, who is that asked X. The Roman Empire is on the way out said why because they have lost the hearts of their people and the church has gained that. Constantine must have realized that hence his attempt to accept the church. He is certainly devious, but one cannot argue with his success. He launched the Catholic Church on an even more dogmatic course by encouraging the writing of the New Testament X and Y about 400 CE, with considerable interest they followed the developments in the life of Galla Placidia, a wily and attractive woman. She was the daughter of Roman Emperor Theodosius I, a younger, paternal half-sister of Emperors Arcadius and Honorius. She married at all of the Visigoth and Emperor Constantius I.I.I. She was the only empress in the West for a time, governed the Roman world with her nieces Eudocia and Palcheria, was the regent of the Western Roman Empire for quite a while, almost had her daughter Honoria married to Attila the Hun and was great friends with General Aetius who defeated Attila in France later on. Exactly who was Placidia asked X in puzzlement, was she everybody's woman or did she use her wiles to get the empire going in the direction she wanted it to go, she is a woman ahead of her time laughed why more than most women, she knew how to use her political connections, her charms, her cunning and her brain to get what she wanted or to get out of bad places, no man could have accomplished what she did in so many capacities. Her influence over the Western Roman Empire was amazing for a very long time X and Y about 400 CE again. The Roman Empire is coming to terms with the church thanks to Emperor Constantine noted X. The beliefs of the Christian church now have some important advantages for the Romans. This church exerted considerable civilizing influence on society and when many Romans died because of the bubonic plague, the church preached that married women should have as many babies as possible in order to repopulate the empire. Certainly the Romans endorsed that idea said why women were encouraged to become baby factories again.